I really did have every intention to study all of chapter 55 a few weeks ago. Uh, The nearer we came to this particular time, I was sure that we were going to do verses 1 through 5 only. And tonight we are going to look at verses 1 and (laughs) 2. Well, you know, that's happened sometimes. But I'd like to read verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to focus our attention on verses 1 and 2 tonight. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight in its abundance. Incline your ear and come to me, hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. You know, it seems to be a a, a common thought uh, in some parts of the church, not all parts, but in some parts of the church, that, that God wants to work only through people who have worked hard to make themselves worthy enough and talented enough and perfected enough to be able to receive His prosperous blessings, which would to some degree substantiate the saying, God helps those who help themselves. (laughs) But most of you know, if not all of you, of course, that that isn't in the Bible. That phrase isn't in the Bible, the quote isn't in the Bible, and neither is the principle. But most of those kinds of people think that God is really lucky to have them. (laughs) On the other hand, there are those who don't think they really have anything to offer God at all. And many times are reluctant even about going to church. I mean, what do I have to offer God? What do I have to give? Well, these are just the people that the Lord is looking for. Because He has a tremendous invitation to give them. And the invitation doesn't go out to the one who thinks he's God's gift to mankind. It goes out to the people who are needy and have nothing to offer God. Oh, by the way, those who think they have, they have really don't have anything either. If you remember times uh, that Jesus would speak to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he would tell them you know, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Or that he would tell them you know, that uh, a physician will only come to those who are, who are sick. And I'm sure that many of those scribes and Pharisees thought themselves not to be the ones he was talking about. He was actually speaking directly to the scribes and the Pharisees because they were so far from God. 
Their lips said one thing, but their hearts said something else. So this was Israel. This was Israel at the time of this prophecy and at the time of this promise given by the Lord. And they were meeting the two requirements for God's work on their behalf. Those two requirements are that they were thirsty and they were broke. And they were also pretty broken. But the two were that they were thirsty and they were broke. But that's the whole world, isn't it? You see, the work of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 is what makes possible the offer of salvation here in chapter 55. Now, in the previous chapter, which we studied last time, the invitation was exclusively aimed at Israel. Everything we talked about was aimed toward Israel and their salvation. But here in chapter 55, the invitation is extended to the entire world. Look again at verse 1. Ho, it says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Ho, everyone, it says. Now that's the little phrase, ho, I mean, there's been a lot of different... uh, People try to kind of define the, the statement itself in such a way that, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of an awakening type of a word. Ho, oh, everyone, you know, it's not ho, 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 like, you know, Santa type thing, you know, but, but, but just a, a, you know, bringing to mind, you know, that there's something that needs to be heard. You know, it's, 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 it's an awakening call to people. And it says everyone, ho, oh, everyone who thirsts. Come. It is important to remember that the suffering servant not only died for the sins of Israel, but also died for the sins of the whole world. We know that from what we have studied in, in, in John chapter 1, verses, or verse 29, uh, uh, speaking of the words of, of John the Baptist when he sees his cousin Jesus. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world or the sin of the world. You'll notice that he doesn't say just the sin of the Jews, but the sin of the world. And then, of course, that great statement in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then there is the letter of John, the first letter to the church, when he writes in 1 John 4.14, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. So that's pretty clear in, in the New Testament. But as, as we've seen in our earlier studies of Isaiah, as well as what we will see in later chapters of Isaiah, the prophet makes it clear that Gentiles are to be included in God's plan. What wasn't clear to Isaiah and the other prophets was that believing Jews and Gentiles would one day become one in Christ Jesus in the church. That wasn't clear to the prophets. As a matter of fact, Paul points that out. He points it out in Ephesians chapter 3. Now, what I'd like for you to do, if you will, is to look at Ephesians 3 and maybe read verses 1 through 12 sometime later. But look at verses 5 and 6. Paul is saying, "...which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets." So it says those in the past 
uh, hadn't been revealed, this, this particular issue. And then in verse 6 it says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the Gospel. And so that makes it clear that even the prophets themselves, though they were prophesying what God was saying about the Jews and the Gentiles, didn't see the unity that is seen in the New Testament. What's fascinating about Ephesians chapter 3 is, first of all, that Paul is speaking to Gentiles primarily, and saying, of course, and and the implication is that he has already let them know that the Lord came for the Jew first and then for the Gentile, but he says, you know, what other ages was not made known to the sons of men, it's now been revealed, and that is that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs with whom? With the Jews of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ. So you see, the aim was toward the unity of Jew and Gentile in Christ Jesus. So now three times in verse 1 of Isaiah 55, we see the word come. Four times in some translations. But in the King James, New King James, we see it three times. And so the Lord, through the prophet, is calling out loud and clear to all that can hear to respond by coming. To all those who can hear and can respond, come, you come. It's an invitation. You know, we oftentimes hear people, well, you know, we don't have invitations of one kind or another. But the Lord has made those invitations, Old Testament and New Testament. Here we see an invitation. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come. Jesus Himself made invitations. Come unto Me, He said in Matthew 11. Come unto Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. This is an invitation. How many times do we get invitations in the mail? Somebody sends us an invitation about going to a party or to a wedding or to a quinceañera or something. You know, we, we get an invitation to go. Oftentimes there's an RSVP. RSVP. <laughs> It's, it's, you know, it's French thing, and I'm not going to, you know. The SVP is s'il vous plaît, you know. So respond, if you please. You know, that's pretty much what it's telling you. But how many of you ever, you know, don't do that too often, do you? Sometimes you do, because you were taught that you should. A lot of times we don't know what those letters mean, so we just throw the thing away, you know. If we don't know the people, if we know them, well, you know, we go. And if we don't get an invitation, we crash the party. You know, but that's, that's what we do in El Paso. I don't know what you do anyplace else. But uh, yeah, I used to play in bands and stuff. And, you know, we'd see, you know, they, how many invitations did you pass out for your wedding? I'd be playing in the band, you know, for the wedding. How many invitations did you pass out? Oh, well, you passed out, you know, 300. There were 900 people in the place. And half of them didn't have an invitation. You remember how many of you have ever seen that happen here in El Paso? Be honest. Okay, well, that's just what happens here in, in, you know, in El Paso. But anyway, where was I? Invitations. Yeah, there we go. What an invitation we're given to everyone who thirsts to come. The response is coming, you see. Come. It's an invitation to everyone who thirsts for that which truly satisfies to come. Come. There's something that is being offered that will satisfy you completely, totally, and eternally. Think of these words of Jesus to the woman at the well in Samaria, John chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. It says, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God... 
and who it is who says to you, give me a drink. Because that's what Jesus did, went to this well, and he said to the woman, give me a drink. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, that's not such a strange phrase to that woman at the well and and to the people of that time, and you'll see this a little later. But in fact, he was speaking beyond what they customarily knew to speak about water that was beyond the water of that well. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Because you see, it wasn't as if she was thinking spiritually. She was still looking at the well. And living water evidently was something flowing underneath that well. That's the living water. Water that was moving, water that was coming, water that was clear, water that was was acceptable. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? You know, the focus is still on that well, that well right there in Samaria, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock. And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst That should give you a clue. This water is spiritual. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I don't think he said it any clearer. (laughs) Or he could say it any clearer. It was something spiritual. It was something that would truly satisfy. Oh, listen. You know, we're, we're, we're into water nowadays, aren't we? We got water everywhere. You know, I remember the times when we used to just have water come out of our tap. I remember the times when it wasn't a bad thing and it really wasn't anything to worry about to drink water out of a, out of a hose out in the front yard in the middle of the summer, right? Water's important. We need water. And in those days, you know, we had to wait for the water. You know, uh, it would come out hot. It was only 110 outside, and the water was only 120 inside the, inside the hose, and then you'd have to let it run a little while. And nobody told you, don't let that water run, because we're not... And I just let the water run, and we watered, you know, <laughs> the plants and stuff with it. And then we took a nice cool drink. And it had that nice little rubbery taste, you know. <laughs> right? And, and you just... You know, you were satisfied for how long? You weren't satisfied forever. Oh, 50 years ago, I drank for that, from that uh, hose down at, uh, you know, my ne- next door neighbor's house, and I'm, I'm just still satisfied. No way, man. The next day, you're still over there sneaking water. And she's paying the bill. But that water doesn't satisfy. But what Jesus was offering was something beyond the water that we need. Our bodies crave. Now there's the big thing about bottled water everywhere. Red labels, blue labels, red and blue labels, green labels, yellow labels, you, you name it, there are labels all over. Pink labels. Just got all kinds. Some say they're better, their, their water's better than ours, and, and you taste it, and it's, that tastes like the one from that hose next door. Water. So necessary. But only those who thirst will come to the waters. 
Only those who thirst will come to the waters. And if a person isn't thirsty for what the Lord can give them, they'll never come to His waters. Jesus may have had this Isaiah passage in mind when He cried out on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And there was a time, you know, in that last day when they carried, you know, the priests and and all carried these big jugs of water around in, in that great time of the Feast. In John 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day, that great day of the Feast, Jesus stood as they're doing this, and He cries out and He says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The invitation goes to all who are thirsty. Come. And you, it goes on to say, and you who have no money, come. Buy and eat. What's interesting, I think about that phrase, come buy and eat, you know. You don't have any money, but come buy anyway. It's interesting. That word, buy, because it's used a couple of times. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You come. There's an action you take. But the price has been paid. Man, throughout all the Scriptures, man, throughout all the Scriptures, is shown to be utterly bankrupt spiritually. From the very fall of man, man has been utterly bankrupt spiritually, completely destitute of righteousness, completely destitute, completely without righteousness, and no claim upon God whatsoever, scripturally. Genesis 6 verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's pretty bankrupt that's utter bankruptcy spiritually and the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17 verse 9 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it the heart is deceitful above all things isn't that what defines us of who we are the heart our hearts But if it's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, who can know it? It goes on to say, only the Lord knows it. Paul, quoting from the book of Psalms and the book of Ecclesiastes and a few other places in the Proverbs in Romans chapter 3, he makes this particular statement, verses 9 through 12, What then? Are we better than they? It says, Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Look at that. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. In the eyes of God, and of course we can go on and read that statement that says, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And yet... And yet, Jesus Christ, God's sinless Son, God's suffering servant, is presented as the great sin offering. We talked about this in our study of of Isaiah 53. Jesus is presented as the great sin offering through whose infinite sacrifice all who come to Him in faith will be justified in His sight. 
All who come to Him in faith will be justified in His sight. His salvation is based upon righteousness. By the way, is it our righteousness? No, because we just read. There is none that is righteous. No, not one. There's only one that is righteous. That's Jesus Christ. But of all of the fallen creation, there's none righteous. And salvation is based on righteousness. And on the cross, the sin question has been settled in a righteous way. On the cross, the sin question has been settled in a righteous way, which is the reason why God can save all who come to Him in faith. If you are still in Romans chapter 3, I hope you are, just, just jump down to verse 21 to see this. It says, but, the, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, which means an atoning sacrifice, whom God set forth as an atoning sacrifice by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You go through that passage in verses 21 through 26 a few times tonight, and you mark every time it says the word righteous or righteousness and the word faith. And notice there is nothing there that says that we have that righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness. It is God's righteousness. And His salvation is based upon righteousness, the righteousness of Christ on the cross. The sin question was settled in a righteous way. And so you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk, it says. Without money and without price. It's all free. Isn't that a great invitation? It's funny that a lot of people today, they, you tell them that, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Jesus paid the price with His blood. And, and that all they need to do is believe and trust in, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that they need to do what it says in Romans chapter 10, that if they confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that He's risen from the dead, that they'll be saved. And, they keep, and there's some people that just keep saying, but what do I have to pay? What do I have to do? What do I, where's my part? Well, you know, what part do you have? What good part in you do you have to add to your salvation? The only thing that any of us brought to our salvation was sin. That's not a whole lot to be proud of. That's not a whole lot to say that we can offer this and say, well, well here's, look at what we've got. Yeah, sin. <laughs> And what's underneath all of that? More sin. <laughs> and that's what we brought. But the price was paid. Do you remember how many weeks we spent in Isaiah 53? Five weeks to see what Jesus did for us. To pay that price. To be able to say to us, Ho, 
everyone who thirsts, come and drink. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and price. It's all free. Folks, there, isn't re- there really isn't any catch. Why is it that people keep looking for some catch? <laughs> the thing is, we're the only catch. Remember this weekend we talked about Jesus and Peter and James and John, and they were fishermen. And they, they were fishermen, and Jesus had to show them how to catch fish. And then when he showed them how to catch fish, he said, but you know what, I'm going to make you fishers of men. If they couldn't catch fish and they were professional fishermen, what were they going to do now? They were going to need to rely on him to be fishers of men. They were going to need to rely on His Holy Spirit, on His wisdom, on His grace, on His mercy, on His righteousness. Folks, what do we bring into this whole issue? All we bring is our sin. But praise God that He said, I'll take that. By the way, I've already taken it. And I've nailed it to the tree. Now, believe in me. Trust in me. Live in me. Live for me. You see, there isn't really any catch whatsoever when it comes to our salvation as well as our growth in Jesus Christ. Because our growth in the Christian life is just as much a gift of grace as our salvation. In other words, you can't say, well, you know, Jesus paid for my salvation, but now I have to earn my sanctification, you know. Or I have to... No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. Why is it that we, we love... Why is it that we serve the Lord the way we do, if, if, if we do? You know, when we serve with all of our heart. Why is it that... We're, we're not serving to be saved. We're serving because we've been saved. We're serving not toward our salvation. We're serving from our salvation. We're serving because we are just wanting to give Jesus all the glory for everything because we realize we didn't save ourselves. He saved us. And so, I want you to consider this list that we just read here for a moment. We started with water. You all saw, remember that? We started with water, then it says, come buy wine and milk. Interesting. Water, wine, and milk. Come and buy it. Without money, without price. There's some idea here that, you know, you come to the, the, water, the living waters of Jesus and, and you're cleansed and you're saved. Uh, you know, the wine and the milk, you know, uh, some... Uh, essence of, of understanding the, uh, the growth issue, you know, that we're growing in the Lord. We can see that in, in various places in the Word. But, but water was, let's, let's just take one at a time here, water. Water was and still is in most places on the globe. It is a precious commodity. In that day and time, water, boy, I tell you what. I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, movie, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, you've seen that, that movie. If you ever get a chance, you need to really watch that Back in the 60s, you know, it's a great movie to watch. Uh, just, just from the perspective of, of the culture, even back in the early, ni- uh, early 20th century, of, of Arabs who were still living back in the 16th century uh, during the 19th or 20th century. Uh, so you get a little picture of that culture because of a well. A person was trying to drink from somebody else's well. From who knows how far away, somebody shoots him and kills him. 
That's how precious water was. And water still is to this day in many places like that. Uh, an abundance of it, an abundance of water was and, and still is a special blessing. That's why I was making that, that, that point about water. You know, how, you know how today, you know, we, 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 we got all this bottle of water. We've got all these people telling we have restrictions of one sort or another with, with water. You know, we, you know, here, especially here in El Paso in the summertime, you know, we have to not water our lawns every day and as we used to before. Now, you know, we have to. So, you know, there's, there's something about water, very precious. Those who have a lot are blessed with water. Then wine. Think about wine and milk along with bread. Let's add bread to this whole issue here because these were and still are staples of their diet. Especially in the Middle East. But the question would be here. Why are the people trying to live on substitutes that didn't truly nourish or satisfy them when they needed the real thing which only the Lord could give? Substitutes. Now, understand this. They still need water to live. Milk, bread, wine, as they see it in their culture, necessary. In some places, the, the wine, because of the water, uh, being as sanitary and as, as being as clean as, as possible. But the point of the matter is this. These are the, these are the, the staples needed for the body. But what was greater? What was the most important thing? What was needed for their souls? What is needed for their lives beyond this existence? And please remember that in Scripture, both water and wine are illustrations of types of the Holy Spirit. I should say illustrations and types of the Holy Spirit. Think about what it says in John 7, verse 39. Now, I I saved this particular verse from the last time we were in John 7 because that particular point that he was making there when he was saying, you know, about uh, coming to the water uh, or, or to come to him, uh, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Uh, it, ex- it is explained here in verse 39 where it says, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So water was, was a symbol or a type of the Holy Spirit. Paul, writing in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and again, some what of that type, that wine would be a type of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus, of course, says that He is the bread of life. And He's also, and His living word, I should say, is milk. In John 6, 32, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now isn't that an interesting statement when He's talking about Himself being bread? He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And I believe that that is said to show that the satisfaction is not in the water and bread that we ourselves feel and need, certainly in this life, but is that which is beyond all of that, which is the spiritual bread, the spiritual milk, and the spiritual water, 
milk. By the way, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word of God, the, the Word that you may grow thereby. Desire the pure milk of the Word. So, so milk stands as a, as a type or symbol of, of, of the Word of God. So once again, the Lord Jesus may have been thinking of Isaiah 55, when he makes this statement in John 6, verse 27, notice what he says. He says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Don't labor for the food which perishes. So now you get the understanding, because this leads us to verse 2 of our text in Isaiah 55, that says, why do you spend money... For what is not bread. And your wages for what does not satisfy. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen careful to me. Or listen carefully to me. This is Jesus. Uh, well, this is the Lord speaking. This is as much Jesus speaking this as anybody else. Listen carefully to me, he says. And eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. You know that we are, more than anything, prompted by the Lord in this passage, verse 2, to ask ourselves that question, why do we spend money for what can never satisfy? Why do we spend money for what can never satisfy? This is an extremely relevant and and appropriate question. In light of all the things that we pour our time and our talent and our treasure into, Time, talent, and treasure. Our time, do we give it to the Lord? Our talents, are we serving the Lord with everything He's already given us? Our treasure, are we giving unto the Lord what we are to give unto Him? You see why the question is important even to us today? Why do we spend money for what can never satisfy? Things that will never satisfy the way that the Lord alone can satisfy? Do you know that this is the bread of deceit? This is the bread of deceit that is mentioned in Proverbs 20, verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. But afterward his mouth will be full of, full, filled with gravel. Anybody ever just taken a bunch of gravel and put it in your mouth? Have you, anybody? We'd be crazy to do that, wouldn't we? Especially if we had just had some good dental work done. Crazy. Put gravel in your mouth. But, is, but listen to the wisdom given in that proverb. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man. But afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. Why? Because that bread will never satisfy. That bread does not satisfy. You know, there was a similar warning given by the prophet Jeremiah. In in the ancient city of Jerusalem, there were two main sources of water. One was, was to get water from springs, which those springs were known as, and by the way, here it is, those springs were known as fountains of living water. Because the springs moved, you know, they didn't stay stagnant or stable, you know, static, and or I should they didn't stay, uh, you know, in one place and 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 remained, uh, you know, uh, became stagnant. I wanted to say, I was losing my train of thought there for just a second. 
They were living water, fountains of living water. But the other source was to cut a large basin out of the solid rock. And there's a lot of solid rock around Jerusalem. But to cut a, a, a basin out of the solid rock and collect rainwater in it. As a matter of fact, when you go to Israel and, and you go to the uh, garden tomb uh, presentation, which is the last thing you do when we go to Israel, they actually show you a, a cistern, a, a deep well. You can look down into it. You know, It was a huge thing. This is where water had been collected around the time of Christ. Well, these basins, as I said, was, uh, these basins are called cisterns, by the way. And I think a few weeks ago I said, a cistern is not the, uh, you know, the, uh, the counterpart to a brethren. It's not cistern, brethren. I know, it uh, failed last time too when I said it. So, a cistern is a basin, you know, just a big place, uh, you know, to hold water. But sometimes cisterns would be cut out of solid rock, but without close examination. They would cut the rock, but they wouldn't really examine it. And there would be cracks that would exist that wouldn't allow the cistern to hold any water. They didn't do their homework, or they didn't take their time, and they didn't really hewn that rock out properly. So that even when rainwater would collect, that rainwater would dissipate or just go away. It would leak through and go out. And the, the warning given by, by Jeremiah is found in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, where it says, For my people have committed two evils. Listen to this. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Isn't that interesting? They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, Broken cisterns that can hold no water. I, I read this quote yesterday, and I, uh, this quote from Billy Graham, that I found quite interesting and applicable to our day and time. Uh, listen to it. It says this. He said, America is said to have the highest per capita boredom of any spot on earth. We know that because we have the greatest number of artificial amusements of any country. People have become so empty that they can't even entertain themselves. They have to pay other people to amuse them. To make them laugh. To try to make them feel warm and happy and comfortable for a few minutes. To try to lose that awful, frightening, hollow feeling. That terrible, dreaded feeling of being lost and alone. What a powerful statement that is. But how true it is, isn't it? We have the greatest number of artificial amusements of any country. People have become so empty they just can't even entertain themselves. You know what's sad? How many people who call themselves Christians or are in the church today have never read one whole book of the Bible because they can't entertain themselves, you know, quote-unquote entertain themselves. They can't even sit still for a moment and read God's Word where there's waters, living water, waters of life. People have to pay others to amuse them. Look at the entertainment industry today, multi-billion dollar industry. 
Take that aside only. Take just the, 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 what we would have to call the legit side of entertainment and think about this, that the porn, pornographic industry has almost as much money going into it. It's a, it's a billion dollar industry, or billions of dollar industry, multi-billion dollar industry. People, you pay people to make you laugh. Ever heard any of these comedy shows on TV? You know, even even the ones on primetime. They, I mean, they're ugly and awful, and they, they you know, they're they're you know sexually explicit, and and and, and you know they've got to use four-letter words all the time. People think that's funny. It's not funny. But why are they why are they going there? How many people realize? That they do, you know, the world does this, and we have been there, folks. We've been there. We did this because there was a sense of emptiness, a lostness that became real to us when we came to realize that we were living in darkness, and the only hope was the light of Jesus Christ. When we came to that light, how precious that light was. But this is what confounds me, that we want a little bit of the light, but we want the darkness too. Doesn't make sense, folks. We need to shine the light of the glory of Christ from us, and the only way to do that is to be out of the darkness. And the Bible tells us that's what Jesus died to do for us to transfer us out of darkness and put us in the kingdom of his light. So let me say that this is evidently the consequences of people digging out their own cisterns. They're trying to dig out a cistern, trying to get their own satisfaction in their own water, but you know what? It leaks out and they'll never be satisfied. The billionaire wants to be a multi-billionaire. He's not satisfied with a billion dollars. Would anybody here be satisfied with a billion dollars, by the way? You know, we would probably all say, yeah, yeah, we'll give our tenth to the church, which will be a pretty good offering, and we can live on the rest. I can tell you this, you can give 90% to the church and live off of the 10% and never have to be worried. Why don't you turn that around? Right? But you know what? We wouldn't be satisfied. You got that first million, you want the next million. Look at those TV programs, those, those infomercials. You know, a lot of those are just lies. They're just lying to you. Well, people digging out their own cisterns. Let's look at this passage here because we're going to end with this thought. It's the second part of of, of verse 2. It says, listen carefully to me and what is good. And eat what is good, I should say. Listen carefully to me, number one. Eat what is good, number two. Let your soul delight itself in abundance, number three. You'll notice that he says, listen carefully. Listen carefully. The Lord is encouraging us to listen with diligence. Capital D. I-L-I-G-E-N-C-E. Listen with diligence to the voice of the Lord. Listen, he says, carefully to me. It takes time and it takes attention to listen to the Lord and yet some are not willing to do this. In today's devotional in Oswald Chambers' classic, 
my utmost for his highest. How many know that, that, that devotional? My utmost for his highest. I tell you what, if you have it on your bookshelf, take it down. Tomorrow's the 14th. Oh, that's a special day, isn't it? Yeah. You know what day it is? That's the day you love Jesus more than you've ever have. It's the day that you thank Him for loving you. And then love everybody else around you. But, but, but start with the Lord. But, you know, oh, I'm losing my train of thought here. Today's devotion. Today, the 13th of, of, uh, of February. This is what Oswald Chamber writes. It's so, it just fits so much with what we're, we're saying here. I know it's coming from the Lord. He said, if I have not developed and nurtured this devotion of hearing, I can only hear God's voice at certain times. At other times, I become deaf to Him because my attention is to other things. Things which I think I must do. This is not living the life of a child of God. Then he asks the question, Have you heard God's voice today? Have you heard God's voice today? Have you heard God's voice today? You know that if you get into you, to your Bible, you're going to start to hear God's voice. He'll speak to you through it. You'll hear God's voice. But you know that in Psalm 81 verse 13 it says, Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. Even with his people Israel. He loved them. He saved them. He delivered them. He provided for them. He gave them manna when they needed manna. He gave them food. and uh, You know, even when they complained. And yet he says, oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, they would just listen to me. Are you God's people? Then listen to God. Listen to Him. Secondly, we're told to eat what is good. By the way, the first thing to remember is what? Diligence. Be diligent to listen to the Lord. Secondly, we are told to eat what is good. You know what that necessitates? It necessitates discernment. Diligence to listen to the Lord. Discernment to eat what is good. Discernment. You know why? Because we are to choose what is good and eat that. Some people just eat whatever. <laughs> right? I mean, oh, I was watching some guy on TV last night. He goes around the world eating stuff that we would, we would just not even get near to. He eats them and I'm thinking, that guy should be dead. He eats all these weird worms and, you know, bugs and you know, parts of animals that I couldn't even tell you about. You know, just he eats all this stuff and he goes, oh, really good. And I said, oh my God, no discernment. That guy's never eaten Chico's tacos, man. I'll tell you that. You know, you don't know what's good for him. But we are to choose what is good and we are to eat that. But it's just, you know, some people just eat whatever spiritual meal comes along. I'm talking spiritual here. They eat whatever spiritual meal comes along. They watch all these TV programs and half of the guys on TV today, and they're not really preaching you the gospel. And they're not teaching you God's word. But they'll come along and they'll hear that and they'll, oh, that, you know, whatever's set before them without ever checking it out. But Paul exhorts the church in Ephesians 4.14 and he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. He says, man, don't be like that. 
Be stable and steady and firm and steadfast in the Word of God. Hebrews 13, verse 9. Oh, by the way, this is one reason why I, I truly believe that Paul has written the book of Hebrews. Notice how clear this thought is. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Isn't that apropos to what we're speaking about tonight? Not to be carried about by these things. We need to have discernment about what is truth, what is right, and what is real. Thirdly, we are told to let our soul delight itself in abundance. In other words, we are not only to listen with diligence and to eat what is good with discernment, but we are to delight ourselves rather than maintain a stubborn, critical, or bad attitude in the abundance of the spiritual meal we are given. I've talked about this many times, you know, when I say, you know, there's times when I preach the Word of God and some people get mad at me. I, tell you, I said, God's the one that's telling you. I'm just, I'm just repeating what He's saying. If He's stirring up your heart, you need to take it to Him. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's saying that you're doing something you ought not to be doing, and God is saying, come back to me, and I want to show you the right way again. But if I'm the vessel, why are you getting mad at the vessel for? Do what he says. Listen to what he says. Philippians 2, verses 14 through 16. Do all things. What a wonderful verse this is. Oh, listen, we all have to learn from this. Even in our driving. We get cut off in the highway, you know. Things happen. I'm a Christian over there, but not over here, man, because you're in my way, you know. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored. In vain. What a beautiful statement Paul makes. Do all things without complaining and disputing. We've just seen too much of, you know, too, too, many, too many of those reality TV shows. We've just seen too much of it. Honestly. You know, it goes all the way back to, you know, Phil Donahue and Jerry Springer and all those guys. Some of you might say, who's Phil Donahue? Don't worry about it. Just know, just know one thing. They don't know what they're talking about. They still don't. But it's, it just gives everybody an opportunity. Look at, look at, even on the news, you can't even watch the news program in the morning without them saying, you know, send us your emails and tell us what you think about this. No, don't ask some people because they don't know. They're not even paying attention to the news. They just want to write an opinion. They should become lawyers. Lawyers write opinions, right? Or judges anyway. Write opinions. You know, the Lord tells us, hey, don't complain. Don't dispute. One thing is for sure, you, never, you can never get too much of the Lord, right? Isn't He the one that satisfies? You can never get too much of the Lord. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say something with caution, but I'm going to say it. If we're going to overdose on anything, we need to make sure that we overdose on the goodness and kindness of the Lord. If we're going to overdose on anything, let's overdose on the goodness of the Lord. Have you heard these words in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7? 
But when the kindness, when the kindness and the love of, our, of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Have you heard those words? When the kindness of the Lord and the kindness and the love of, the, of God our Savior toward man appeared. What a beautiful thought. Just to overdose on the kindness and the goodness of our God. In Psalm 36, verses 7 through 9, and I'll close with this. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. By the way, I'm pretty sure this is right on the Hebrew end of this, but that it says, how precious is your, how precious are your loving kindnesses. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a plural word. The loving kindnesses of God. How precious are your loving kindnesses, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Everything we talked about tonight is in this passage of Psalm 36. The loving kindness of God. The trusting in the Lord. Being abundantly satisfied. Being full in His place, in His house. Drinking of the river of His pleasures. The fountain of life. In His light, we see light. Well, that's just verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 55. Quite a bit there. Quite a bit for us to chew on tonight. And this week. But I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Always remember. When we came to the Lord, we were thirsty. And we were broke. And Jesus, when He gave that great sermon on the mount, began with the Beatitudes... And one of those beatitudes, he said, Blessed is he that thirsts for righteousness, for he shall be filled. He shall be filled. That's a promise. We, what's interesting about us as Christians is that we can thirst for Christ and yet be satisfied with Christ. And as long as we thirst, we're always satisfied. We're thirsting, we're in the flesh still until the Lord you know, changes our, our physical condition into the spiritual condition that will keep us with Him forever. But, but the fact of the matter is, in some of our driest moments, is when we, found, when we find that great refreshment that satisfies us and keeps satisfying us. And, and, and really, even though we thirst again, he never runs dry. The source never runs dry, in other words. He keeps blessing us. And He loves us. Let's pray.